Welcome to the latest episode of ASX Market Goss, where for the next half hour or so, we chat with a leader of small cap company, their style, their aspirations, their journey, their coffee of choice, life away from investment and making decisions. And today's recording is in the thick of the activity at the RIU Resurgence Conference at the Western Hotel in Perth City. It's day two. Now, the style of the podcast, for those who are listening for the first time, is we start with a blank canvas, and our guest's job is to cover it in. And today's guest is Bruce Lane, Tech Director of GTI Energy, ASX Code GTR. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Yeah, hi, Tim. Thanks for uh, talking to me. Yeah, you presented yesterday, day one of the conference. Critically analyse your performance. <laughs> I think it went, uh, went pretty well. My opening, I have a little video that I play at the start of the presentation and the, the sound didn't work. But uh, apart from Nothing that, worse. Uh, exactly. But they played it for me with the sound on afterwards, which is <laughs> a bit of a bonus. But um, yeah, look, it's, it's always, um, it's actually quite an enjoyable thing to tell the story yeah. because a lot of the time, uh, you know, as a, particularly with our company where our operations are all in the US, in Wyoming, um, I spend a lot of time uh, on calls, Zoom calls, later, late in the evening uh, and early in the morning. And then during the rest of the day, you know, uh, I may not talk to as many people as a normal person would in their workday. So to be able to get out and tell the story to people and get them engaged and get them asking me questions, it really helps to energize me around the story as well. And uh, so these days are really important, um, you know, to keep focused on what the prize is. So you do your presentation at this conference and then you're still here day two. Are you pressing the flesh with prospective investors and shareholders or are you trying to glean information off your competitors or just taking away percentages here there and everywhere how how do you see a conference like this yeah look i think the all of those things is the answer uh you know we have a lot of shareholders particularly here in perth because we're a a perth based you know corporate our corporate's perth based and the company's been a perth based company since its inception in 2007 so we have a lot of people um, in, in WA, and this is an opportunity for them to actually come and, and meet me and get to ask me, you know, the easy questions and the hard questions. Um, and so that's a very important part of it. Uh, we also like to listen to everyone else in the space's presentations and hear the John Borshoff story and the you know, 92 Energy story and the Bannerman story. And the industry, the uranium industry is pretty small. You know, we're only a $50 billion, less than $50 billion market cap sector globally and there's only a handful of Australian companies who've been serious players and been at it for long for a long time and so it's a small community and they're they're a community that you know like I know a few of the guys and have known them for a long time Um, there's a few I don't and I get to meet them and you know some of us are in the US Uh, there's a couple of companies here today that have US assets and US operations and you know we get to talk and share stories and experiences and talk about whether there's a way to work together. You know, and that's that's really important as well. Executive Director Bruce Lane of GTI Energy is with us, ASX Code GTR. Uh, you did make mention before we hit press record, um, play record uh, on this podcast, that you had one in, uh, shareholder, investor, come up and give you a bit of a a shake of the uh, reins and said, hey, I've wanted to bail a couple of times or I haven't thought about it and thought about it and haven't thought about it, but they walked away convinced that you're on the right track yeah look I mean he, he came back I spoke to him yesterday and he came back again he was back again today and he when I asked him oh, when did he first get involved with the shares and you know he, he wasn't sure he couldn't quite remember and he went home and he checked it and he bought in four different times 
over the past. And he said he had been thinking, you know, maybe he would he would sell them. And then he came and saw the presentation. And he's had a chat to me, and he's happy to to stay with it. Um, and you know, he he's obviously understands a lot more about the story. And he's had an opportunity to meet me. And if he wants to, he can call me anytime he wants. You know, and I say to the I said to him, and I've said to others, look, you know, I've got close to 4,000 shareholders in the company, or we have in the company, and I'm always surprised at how few of them um, want, you know, will actually reach out and ask questions. And, um, you know, it is actually quite good when somebody comes and talks to me. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm very happy to answer any question and take any criticism or, you know, better still, somebody might actually congratulate us for doing a good thing when it happens. But, you know, um, it's certainly um, nice to see somebody who has decided not to sell their shares because they've heard the story and they want to stay with it. Well, yeah, you must take great heart out of that. And if that's just one shareholder that's sticking with the story, then you must, there's probably others as well. Yeah. And that's what this podcast is about, getting to know you, getting to know uh, the executive director of, the, of this company, GTR is the ASX Co, which you're chatting with Bruce Lane, where they're probably not going to pick up the phone and ask, tell us the Bruce Lane story. So they get an opportunity over the next 20 minutes to know more on you. And we're going to get to that in a moment. Yeah. Simple question I ask all of our guests on ASX Market Goss is how is business? Look, it's always a multifaceted answer, would you believe? Um, from an executional point of view for the business, we've, we've had a really um, successful year. We've been able to achieve a lot with the company and deliver on uh, a lot of things that we hoped we could deliver on. And a lot of those things aren't very easy to do either. So that's been great from our point of view. However, the challenging part of, it, part of it's been what's happened with the, micro, the small cap, micro, micro cap stock sector. Um, and we're certainly not the only company uh, that has, has seen a tough year in terms of liquidity in the, in the stock market. And, you know, a, We've, we've seen people selling selling shares when we, we'd hoped they wouldn't, you know, off the back of good news. Look, we've been able to, the share price is stable and it has stabilised. It doesn't seem to be falling away. Um, but with a combination of a really strong uranium uh, spot price, you know, very, very supportive news coming out of the sector, you know, every day, you know, from a nuclear power point of view, um, you know, from a from a from an optics point of view, the sector's never been healthier. You know, it is it is more optimistic than it's than it's been in my and look, I've been involved one way or another for twenty years in uh, in uranium and and you know I think this is clearly and everybody in the sector is saying that this is this is the best best time ever for nuclear power, but it's not showing up in the the junior equities. If you look at the top end, um, you know, Boss Energy, for instance, um, you know, Cameco, Kazataprom. Uh, the ETFs, Sput vehicle, they've all had a really good time. They're the larger vehicles. They're um, they're you know not as risky, um, and there's more liquidity in their sh in their share prices. And the big money's gone into those vehicles. It hasn't seemed to permeate down to the very junior end yet. And so that's made the last you know the last six, nine, twelve months a bit challenging. Um, but, you know, we've got money to do what we need to right at the moment, and it's allowed us to execute. Uh, but we do want to see the share price go up. Of course we do, and our investors do, and that makes everybody happier. And if that was to happen on top of everything else, yeah, we'd be, we'd be skipping down the street, so to speak. So what is happening on the ground over there in the state? So, the, so let's, let's go 
let's go into the ground yeah. right now. So this is, and then we'll go back to your story, but let's go back into the ground. So just give us a, the lay of the land as it stands right now. Yeah. So we, um, we've got three main project areas in Wyoming. Uh, the most advanced is our low Herma project. We picked up a, um, a database earlier in the year, uh, back end of last year, earlier this year, uh, and secured the, the property that, uh, pertains to those drill holes and there were 1700 drill holes in total and of those about eight eight close to 900 are actually on the property that package of data has allowed us to come out with a jork resource of 5.7 million pounds at an average grade of 630 ppm uh, we did that um, in back into june early july uh, so that's really put us on the map with an asset that is some real substance and the potential to grow um, so what we're doing at the moment is, right as we speak, although uh, it's Thanksgiving, so I think, in, in the States as of today or tomorrow, and so they're going on a few days break, but we are drilling uh, in, uh, in Wyoming as we speak on that low Herma project. And the objective there is to verify that historical database. Um, and just to give you, uh, the, the, I guess, the listeners uh, uh, a perspective, those, the, the historical data was actually paper drill logs that were from a dot matrix printer back in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> and they were produced pretty much on site, I believe, um, off the gamma probe, um, off the drill rig. And so those, we were lucky to, to get very, very high quality uh, logs and we've been able to scan those, digitize them and then you know, bring them into a modern database. But we need to verify by putting and twinning a few holes um, and then we'll be able to, we're hoping we'll be able to upgrade, verify and upgrade that resource and bring someone to indicate it. Um, so that's, there's a, there's a number of things about that program that, um, that, that will help us to develop the next stage of exploration, which would occur next year. Okay. So when we talk uranium, so again, and for the want of a better word, it's, it's not a, it's not a, how would I describe it? It's not a, it's not one of the prettier. You know oh, that's I mean? a matter of opinion. Well, well, you've been in it 20 years, so you, yeah. you can see the love of it. Yeah. You can see the beauty. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's, it's not a lithium, it's not a gold, it's not a copper. It's not, but it seems as though there is a real collective group of people who believe that uranium is, is king. Yeah, Are well, you one of those? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm, you know, when I first got involved in, um, in the uranium uh, game was you know back in uh, you know prior to 2010 back in 2006 and seven um, it look there was there was a real burst of enthusiasm around nuclear power at that point and and we were sort of you got to go back to when Nixon uh, one of Nixon's election promises was that he wanted to build a thousand nuclear power stations in the in the US so it's it's had a few um, second comings nuclear power but this time. It's got this uh, this this ring of uh, of green kind of confidence about it because it's so intertwined with a lot of countries' um, path forward towards you know let's call it net zero or or, or low emissions. Yeah. And I think what's hap what's happened in the more recent times is that there's been a you know pardon my um, vernacular but the come to Jesus around. Uh, nuclear around renewable energy at its intermittency and its and the genuine cost of um, the distribution to get the nuclear uh, sorry the renewable power to where it's needed the network support all these things the costs are actually a lot higher 
and its intermittency is a lot bigger problem than people realize. And the nuclear power has really presented itself as one of the best ways to deal with baseload power and decarbonizing baseload power. So I think that's becoming, put Australia aside for a minute, because we think we have a particular set of circumstances in Australia that means that the, we've lagged the rest of the world in terms of you know, an understanding of the first principles of energy density and physics and all those things that make nuclear power a great idea. So, so uranium's really arrived from being, uh, I know we used to go to uranium conference down in uh, Fremantle and we used to get eggs and flour thrown at us. <laughs> um, I remember the solids. Yeah, and isn't it strange now that, you know, you've got a, almost a complete reversal of that in most of the world. You've got people in the streets actually protest, protesting in favour of nuclear power. So Diablo Canyon, which was the last nuclear power station in California, was due to be um, shut down. There was a group called Mothers for Diablo Canyon who protested and lobbied to keep um, Diablo Canyon going on the basis that they could see that for the, you know, from a climate change point of view, it was the best solution. So we've gone from being scared of nuclear waste to being scared of carbon dioxide. Go figure, you know, it's... Let's get to know you. Mm. What's your coffee of choice? Oh, look, I tend towards a long, a, a long Mac topped up three quarters or a Piccolo or a Cortado or something like that. Oh, not, Coppo, not, you got not, too, not too much milk, that's the main thing. And how many a day would you consume? Oh, too many. Too many? Yeah, yeah. Is that, the, is, that the, oh, is that the spur? Is that the petrol? No, look, I used to, uh, for, uh, many moons ago, I worked for a company in Sydney called Cerebos Foods that owned um, a coffee company called Mokopan. Big fresh coffee company, and they also own Robert Harris Coffee oh, yeah. in New Zealand, the largest yeah. fresh coffee business in New Zealand. Yeah. So I got trained as a barista, and I got close to coffee, and I uh, bu- built, built a strong relationship with coffee. So, um, What's the first thing you do? Uh, because you're, you're on the ground stuff over in Wyoming, he's in the States, or I imagine yeah. you're working on a 24 clock, are you? Yeah, look, I mean, when I get up in the morning, um, I have to make use of those few hours before they, before they clock off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I am on it straight away uh, in the morning. Uh, Emails and phone calls, is that yeah, pretty quick? Yeah. The, the phone calls and the Zooms you know, are intermittent, but the emails are constant. Sure. And uh, so that's important. And then, you know, I'll normally, you know, go to the gym two or three times a week to do something. You know, it might be a bit of stretching and what have you, but at least I'll do something. Yeah. Um, and then... I'll, you know, through the day, I've obviously got promotional work to do here. I need to, there's compliance stuff to do for, you know, keeping the ASX happy and the regulator happy and, you know, those sort of things. And then I'll hit it again at night when they're getting up in the morning at about seven o'clock. That's, you know, that's sort of around sort of nine thirty ten. So I'll have my dinner and then um, I might get half an hour's conversation with somebody in my family and then I, I've got to, I've got to hit the Zoom again. Can I ask you that? And you talk about your family. Have you got the work-life balance right, or, or is it is is just not that easy when you're as you're Perth-based and you've got everything happening in the states? Look, I'm ha- I'm happy with my work-life balance. I don't know if it's right, but um, the the beauty, I guess, of what I do now is I, I pretty much I, I do ha- I do work a lot from home because I, there's no point in being in office where where there's no one else, and, and during those hours of the day, so. I have a very good office set up at home. Um, I, you know, I work hard during those hours, and then the rest of the day I can be quite flexible. Mostly, I mean, there's lots of things to do, but I can be more flexible during those work hours. So that allows me to spend a little bit more, you know, time actually helping other people out, and principally members of my family. But uh... Bruce Lane is our guest. Bruce, um, 
if you were to write down your work motto, what do you work by on a, on a blank wall with a heartline pen? What would it be? I generally um, try and do it now. Um, and it is a game of inches. You know, there's, uh, there's a lot of little things that have to happen um, to get to that. The overnight success takes 10 years and uh, we all want it to be, um, you know, to happen tomorrow, but it never does. And you've just got to be persistent and, uh, and, and have some faith that it will arrive. Are you a share price stalker? How many times a day would you? I, I go through phases. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm very focused on it. I, I do tend to focus on it around uh, when we put out news with big activity in it. I, I want, yeah, I'm kind of conscious of, of what happens with the share price, obviously. Um, if we're heading towards a period where we might be wanting to raise some money for some reason, I'm always pretty interested in the share price. But I never take my eye off it completely, no, because, uh, you know, it helps to know if there's a bad phone call coming from somebody. So you, 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 you want to keep ahead of those things. A lot of our guests on, on the podcast, when I say, you know, do you watch the share price? They say, yeah, and we get disappointed when we have a big announcement or something happen yeah. and nothing moves. Yeah. And is it, why doesn't it move? Are you one of those? Look, of course. I mean, you you, you know, you, just, you can say you're dispassionate about it, but that's bullshit. Sorry, <laughs> pardon my language, but you you put a lot into these things. It, to, to get uh, a, like a drilling campaign up, and it is a lot of work over a long period of time, spending money and time, um, negotiating challenges and getting things done. And when you get to that point, you're able to execute and you deliver a result, you know, good, bad or indifferent, you know, it's not helpful you don't feel emotionally validated or vindicated. And, um, and you have to sort of pull back from that, though, you know. But in the moment, of course, there's an emotional response. There always is. What do you do away from this? What do you do? Have you got passions? Have you, are you a sportsman? Um, do you, you, know, you talk about going to the gym a couple of times a week, but, you know, how, how, do you take in TV series, online series, travel, books? What do you do? Unfortunately, not books as much as I used to. I haven't read a good book for a long time, and I think that's partly because of the hours I work. Um, I, uh, I I like to get out on the water on on, on a boat, but uh, and that's not a as, boat. Yeah, not as regular big as boat, a boat. Little boat. Oh, it's sort of no, I can medium size. Okay, so it's, it's not, a big boat. No, no. downsized it. No, yeah, no, so it's a modest. Are you on river or ocean? Ocean. Yeah. Rotto. Yeah, yeah. Spend a few years pottering around on the river and got very, very bored with that. So, uh, cool. you know, so yeah, we get to go across to Rotto and do a, catch, try and catch a few crays occasionally and uh, not much of a fisherman, but uh, aspire to be one. Yeah. But um, we have, I have a, an old 60 series Land Cruiser, which is sort of three quarters, three fifths of the way through renovation. So my son's a diesel mechanic, so we, we kind of work on that together. Um, but yeah, don't don't have a don't seem to have a lot of spare time. No, to be fair, at this point. How often do you get to the states to keep an eye on what's going over there? And when you're over there, what can you do? Or do you, do you like to sort of get boots on the ground just to get a feel for it every now and then? I I, I love to get over there. Um, there are some challenges with that though. I mean, it's a fair old way, uh, and it's not cheap to get there. Um, I wish I could deal with the, the uh, jet lag a little bit better than I, uh, than I do, but because you cross a lot of time zones yeah, in the sure. States, but certainly maybe three times a year. Um, we've got a very good uh, local-based 
engineering and, and geology um, partner in BRS Engineering. And they've been working there in Wyoming since, well, Doug Beam, who's the, the principal, has been, been doing it since the 70s. So we got a high degree of trust. We started operating with them um, during COVID. And uh, so we were able to execute drill programs. I wasn't obviously able to travel at that point. So they executed the, our entire work program for us. Um, and it's, it is really nice to work with people who you just can deal with easily and you can trust them. And um, so I don't feel like I absolutely need to be there, but certainly when you're talking to landholders or, uh, you know, check or, or, or talking to other people in the area like our neighbours, UR Energy or UEC, um, you know, those are the reasons I go is to actually start talking with our neighbours and, and discussing with them, you know, the potential of working together, those sorts of things. So obviously that's the key reason to be on the ground at the moment. Give us the short and the long term of the company in regards to GTI Energy. Bruce Lane is our guest, uh, ASX Code GTR. Tell us what the short term focus is and uh, for those who have to be a bit more patient. Like the short term is we've got this drilling program, um, we'll get some results from that and then that'll help us to really focus a larger program next year to, uh, to try and build that resource um, out. We're targeting, you know, if we can get closer to 10 million pounds there, then we know we've got something. Look, it's pretty good at the moment at 5.7 million pounds, but obviously we'll want to try and get it to be as big as possible as soon as possible. Um, we've got a, uh, we've just done geophysics at our Green Mountain project and we've got 12 miles of uh, uh, anomalous trend there that we want to follow up with drilling next year. So we're trying to plan a, a drill program as we, as we speak and we'll try and get that permitted so that we're in a position to drill next year. Uh, and then beyond that, the next step with our Low Herma project is to put a, a, a preliminary economic assessment or a PFS style report um, on that so that we can really point to what the economics are. What's interesting where we are is that UR Energy, which is right next to our Great Divide projects, they, their published all and sustaining cost is sort of in that region $35 a pound. And with uranium price where it is, you know, let's call it $75 or $80 for Argmine, it's $81 spot today. Um, that's obviously leaving you, you know, $30, $40, maybe slightly more free cash per pound. So, you know, 10 million pound resource, um, you know, in-ground value, you know, let's say it's at $80, that's an $800 million in-ground value, you know, and if you can get half of that in free cash flow um, over a 10-year period, that's a pretty good project. And the capital's modest, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's more like, yeah, in the region, $75 million US for the capital for those projects. Hey, there's a permitting, there's a permitting time frame with these things, so you don't get it instantly. But the economics of those projects are very sound, which is why they're getting back into business, those, um, those ISR producers. So we leave you with the opportunity to pitch to people who are listening for the first time, being impressed by what you've spoken about. Uh, I think Uranium is something they would be keen to get involved in uh, and the like if I was uh, investing. Why should they? Look, I think I'd, I'd point to two things. One is the environment at the moment with um, the shortage of uh, a secure supply of uranium for US, produce, US nuclear power customers. So they're the largest buyers on the planet. They buy 50 million pounds worth of uranium, of, of uranium a year out of a total global requirement of around 200. They doesn't look like they're going to be able to get it from Kazakhstan anymore not going forward anyway. Um, and there's a real focus on getting it out of the US and the most important uranium producing region in the US is in Wyoming where we are. And there are seven permitted facilities around us. 
So we, our projects are in the hot spot for the next couple of years in the US. So the, the background um, for the price and the location couldn't be better as far as we're concerned. And that's why we're in the US. We think those pounds will have a higher value than in any other jurisdiction on the planet. And so the follow-up to that is that we're in the process of defining an asset, uh, those pounds in the ground, and that will give us options for development. Now, whether we choose to go forward and develop it ourselves or whether we partner with one of our neighbours or so there may be some other form of transaction that emerges over the next couple of years, that's what we're shooting for. Bruce Lane, thanks for your time on ASX Market Goss. Great, thanks. Good to chat, Tim. Bruce Lane, Executive Director, GTI Energy, ASX Code GTR. That has been the latest episode of ASX Market Goss. Whatever platform you're listening, like or subscribe to us, leave a comment. And until then, we'll keep digging for our next guest on ASX Market Goss. The content of this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not personal financial product advice. It does not address the circumstances of any individual or entity. You should not construe any of this information or other part of the material as legal, tax, investment, financial or other professional advice. ASX Market Goss and its employees are not financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how any information relates to your unique circumstances. Nothing contained in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement or offer by ASX Market Goss or any third party to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction.